This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The book, Eradicating the Saggy Pants Syndrome in America by Dr. Lawrence Bolar. Dr. Lawrence, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well here in Texas. Where are you from? Well, I'm originally from a small city called Pickens, Mississippi, uh, down by the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and New Orleans, Louisiana. Somewhere a tight little fit in there. Very excellent. Very beautiful. Now, what came? Um, now, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I've been uh, working in the uh, school system for about two decades now, and uh, one of the challenges I have as an administrator is trying to get young men to pull their pants up, and um, it has become uh, intoxicating, you know, just watching them uh, day in and day out uh, wearing their pants this way. And so and I thought it would be a great way to try and get the attention of some of my students as well as to bring some attention and enlightenment to others about this uh, fashion faux pas that's been going on for over two decades. Very excellent. Who do you feel this book appeals to and why? Well, I think it appeals to everyone, and the reason I say that is because even if you're a person who enjoys sagging their pants, there are others out there, there's so many others out there who are forced to uh, embrace this fashion trend because uh, having to go to the mall or the grocery store or to the restaurant and, you know, you can't really uh, control the way a person dresses. So even though I may not dress that way, I'm forced to look at other parts of another person's body when I'm going out to the mall, uh, you know, or walking through the hallways or anywhere I may go, I, I'm kind of forced. So I think it's a, a, a book that will attract all uh, all persons, male, female, old, young, and uh, it's got a pretty good perspective. What would you like readers to take away from your book? Well, what I'd like readers to do is to um, gain some insight on where this all began. Uh, a lot of people know it began uh, in the prison systems to a degree, uh, but what has caused this fashion to thrive. I mean, it's been going on for decades now, and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And, and so I'd like to try and capture the attention of everyone's, um, you know, opinion about this fashion faux pas and see if they would like to weigh in on, you know, their experience with it, how it makes them feel. And uh, this book actually talks about that. It talks about uh, some of the states that have put laws in place to try and uh, eradicate this particular uh, fashion. But uh, it hadn't been global. There are about 12 states who have outlawed it and, and attached some uh, financial fines to the wearing of these uh, or wearing of uh, pants this way. But you know, it's only about 12 states. There's so many other states that you know um, haven't even you know haven't even addressed the issue. But it's more of a, a indecent exposure type thing for me. You know, to have to look at someone's undergarments or even their hind parts. Without being, you know, without asking, I don't want to be forced to look at your butt. And so that motivated me watching my young men uh, walk through the hallways dressing this way, and even long-term effects of how it has on, you know, perhaps on their reproductive um, system and on their spinal system. So it, it has some long-term effects I'd like people to be aware of, and you know, um, the, those are some of the small things I like for people to kind of get an idea of uh, what this, the cause and effect of you know, this fashion trend. The book, Eradicating the Saggy Pants Syndrome in America by Dr. Bolar. Now, Doctor, is there a scene or character in this book you'd like to highlight during this interview? Actually, there are characters, uh, several scenes. I actually have a, uh, uh, on the book cover, you'll see a young man on the book cover. Um, he has a suit on, and we're not asking that young men wear a suit by no by no means, but uh, if you look on there, uh, the same young man, the same young man who had his pants saggy in the back, uh, now has a suit on in the front, kind of trying to eradicate uh, this syndrome. This young man happens to be my son, and uh, 
you know, he really was knowledgeable of the fashion trend at this point. And so I wanted to get someone uh, uh, to model this behavior. And when I tried to get him to model the behavior, the first thing you open the, the book talks about is trying to get him to do the photo shoot. Well, he was five at the time and understood without a shadow of a doubt that he did not want anybody to see his boxer or his underwear. Well, um, someone has to reinforce that it's okay to, to show your boxers or show your underwear. And for him, he had not been exposed to that. And so this young man, uh, by nature, knew that it was an incorrect behavior to have. So I say, um, what happened to all the other young men? Uh, told them that it was okay. Uh, was it just that they did the things that they saw other people doing? And so, you know, that's, that's one of the things you want to kind of get to the bottom of, you know, why why do you actually choose to wear your pants this way? And, and so he's one of the characters, and there are several young men who I selected in the book, and there are some pictures of them. You know, they were very instrumental in wanting to get the, the message out there, but, you know, some of them had mixed signals because, um, some of them enjoy wearing their pants like that. And so I highlighted a lot of those young men that are in the picture as well. So it talks about their opinions about things. So there's quite a few people who are highlighted in the book. There's a local sheriff who was highlighted in the book. And so there's several people that's highlighted in the book. I just, uh, I also did a research proposal where I actually evaluated or I did a survey of 100 uh, young people in the 10th grade to see what their opinions was and there were mixed messages. So was quite a few people highlighted in the book through pictures and through examples. Also put some Dear Sager letters in there, uh, a letter that kind of uh, gave the perspective of different individuals about how it made them feel to see people wear their pants this way. So, again, there are quite a few people who are highlighted in the book. Uh, the cover, you know, itself says to me that someone had to tell other young men or they had to see other young men wearing it and, and someone reinforced the behavior and said it was okay to do it based on my uh, son's reaction. How would you introduce this book to a friend in a few sentences? How would I introduce it to a friend in a few sentences? Yes, sir. Well, the first thing I would ask a friend is that, you know, uh, what are your thoughts about looking at another person's uh, glutamus maximus or hind parts? What are your thoughts behind that? Now, most of my friends are, are, are heterosexual and would be uh, disturbed by looking at another man's hind parts or wouldn't want to do it. And so their response would, quite, would be quite different from perhaps maybe a young man's response. And I've tried this response for other young men, and they instantly say, well, no, don't look at my butt. I don't want anybody looking at me. You know, sometimes I say, well, somebody's looking at you because you're eye candy. And so when you look at it from that perspective to someone who may be perhaps a heterosexual, they become immediately offensive behind it. So that would be the one way I would address it. And I actually talk about that in a book as well. The book, Eradicating the Saggy Pants Syndrome in America by Dr. Lawrence Bolar. Now, Dr. Bolar, tell me how this book is unlike others with similar topics. What sets it apart? Well, I think what sets it apart is because uh, despite your ethnic background, whether you're African American, Caucasian, Hispanic, whatever your uh, background may be, this book addresses that because there are no uh, ethnic barriers uh, when it comes to this book. Uh, when you look at uh, the fashions, they don't have ethnic groups attached to it uh, in most cases. But I think this book is like no other book. I don't think there's any other book out there like this book, Eradicated the Saggy Pants Syndrome. In fact, I don't think anybody's addressed it. Uh, when I did research on this particular topic, I I could not discover, or I did not discover any book uh, of its nature. So I think this is a very unique book and a one-of-a-kind book because I think people talk about it, people see it as being a problem, but nobody's written about it. You've got some uh, news articles here, and you've got some journals there, but nobody's actually addressed this in a book format. So I think it's very unique. Unique indeed. When and where does this story take place? This story actually takes place in uh, several places, uh, primarily in Petersburg, Virginia, um, and in the Richmond, Virginia area as well. Uh, the story takes place uh, when watching young men who were not uh, behavior issues by design, but fashion issues. 
where they felt like this is something, this is a fashion that they decided that they would, uh, you know, they would involve themselves in without having, you know, um, you know, uh, anyone's real input about it. I mean, people tell them to pull their pants up, but they don't do it. And then they may do it for a few seconds and then they're back down. And so the setting is, uh, you know, in Richmond, Virginia, but it's in every small community, every large city where you see young men who actually support this behavior. What three words best describe this book? Uh, informational, historical, and um, I would say uh, one of a kind. One of a kind. Very nice. I like that. Let's see here. What were one of the most challenging parts about writing this book and some of the most fun? Well, I think one of the most challenging parts was when I decided to do a survey. I didn't want to just give my thoughts, and I just didn't want to give historical facts. Facts, but I wanted to get young people involved. And so what I did was I surveyed a hundred young people. And when I started uh, doing the surveys, I had a established group of about four young kids, young teenagers between the age of sixteen and eighteen, to get them involved, to get their input. And so I actually dialogued about that in the book uh, somewhere near the back. Uh, but one of the most exciting things were just talking to those young people, saying, you know, and, and their responses were, people don't know what they think. Or they like it one minute they like it, but the next minute they don't like it. It's kind of a mix. They send mixed messages. Um, some of the young girls that were a part of this group said, "I would never date anybody who wore their pants like that." My father wouldn't like it. But you know, um, it, it, it's a it's a it was very fun just talking to them, and, and some of them were very instrumental. And I like my son, who was by at five, but had not really been exposed to it because I protected him from it. Um, knew that it was you know, inappropriate and disrespectful, but, and, and didn't I want to do that photo shoot? I mean, he cried. He did not want to do that photo shoot. So that was, I never thought about that when I said I'd get him to do it. I never thought his response would be that way. So I dialogued about it in the book, but the other young people I had to do some of the photo shoots and they did their photo shoots. They were so comfortable with it. And some of them are diehards. I don't care what you, what you say, uh, they're just not going to stop doing it. And then that's their thought behind it. And so you say to yourself, if my perception of you is going to be changed by you pulling your pants up and all, and at the end of the day, get you a job or get you a scholarship, you mean to tell me you won't change to, to uh, benefit from it? And they were diehards. I said, no. And, uh, and some of the Dear Sagger letters were very intriguing. One of the, the Saggers, the, the Dear Sagger letters talked about a young man who, by um, him doing well on his interview had had uh, gotten a job, but the supervisor saw him out in the community, and in, in the community he wore his pants sagging and they were low, and, and the image that he portrayed outside of the workplace actually prevented him from getting a job. So one of the Gisaga letters talk about that in, you know, in, in great detail, and so that alone was very intriguing to me to say, wow, this affects you, you know, not only on your job, but if you're out in the community, if an employer doesn't want you to carry a certain image, then it could, you know, prevent you from getting a job. And so those those are true stories. Wow, that's very interesting. How can we get a hold of your book? Well, um, the book is online primarily. You know, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go to Amazon.com, and you can get the book that way. Or you can um, email me through uh, lvbolar at yahoo.com and request a book. If you uh, send me a request, of course, I'll send you an autographed copy of the book, but the book is online through Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. So that's uh, two of the places that you can get the book, and then you can get the book personally from me if you uh, email me just saying I'd like to get a book. And uh, I have a website as well, which is uh, www.lawrencebolard.com. Very excellent. You have a lot of central locations we can find your material, so that's very good. Is there anything else during this interview you'd like to cover so your audience is more aware? Well, I would like for um, people uh, in general, in my audience in particular, to just take the time to read the book. You know, there are a lot of adults who are out there who, who kind of get angry with young people who, who perhaps um, encourage this fashion, but they never really say anything to them. They never um, do anything. And I think if you have a person or persons who perhaps support this, this uh, fashion, why not buy a few books and hand them to them? 
you know, why not find a group of young people who actually um, who supports this behavior and do a book study? This book would be a great book study for them to uh, dialogue with those young people about. And so I think more or less um, the uh, adults and the young people's lives, if they would take the initiative to purchase these books and give them to, you know, organizations like uh, homes and schools and libraries and places like that where people can have more um, exposure to these books or they have more, you know, opportunities to read and see what it's all about. You know, the book cover always draws so much attention, but you can't just look at the cover. you got to open it up and see what it's all about. Well, that's very fabulous. The author... Lawrence Bolar, Dr. Lawrence Bolar, Eradicating the Saggy Pants Syndrome in America. Dr. Bolar, this has been a fabulous interview. Thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you. It's been a, a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk to you, and uh, thank you for your radio station and the show and the wonderful job you're doing with your listeners. And uh, I uh, pray you much success and, and continued prosperity in your, um, your current position. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The book, Timothy, The Bear with Blue Eyes by Dr. Barbara Kane. Dr. Kane, how are you today? Well, I'm fine. And you? I'm doing very well, very well. It's a beautiful day in Texas. Where are you from? Well, we're down here in Boca Raton, Florida, where it hasn't stopped raining for several days. Now, how did you come to write this book? Well, I taught um, children's um, psychology and adult psychology and uh, adolescent psychology and uh, human development at Indiana State University. And um, and, and I'm an emeritus emerit- professor there. And um, my students I, were different, each one different, and trying so hard to fit in. Every student had to be like every other student. The urge to conform is so important. And, of course, I have three children of my own. I could see with my children and my children's friends and their friends and the whole school system. Children need desperately to be like other children. And when they're not, they really suffer. At the same time, they need to feel special. So they have this ongoing uh, conflict within them. We call this an existential conflict. They they have this terrible, awful urge to be like everyone else, but at the same time, to be different. So um, I wrote this book to um, assuage, really, these feelings of anguish of children who are different and let them know that different is good, different is fine, but the way you are is fine, the essential you is fine. That's the message of the book, and that's the refrain of the book. The way you are is the way you are, and the way you are is fine. There, that's that. That's a beautiful message. Where can we find your book? Well, it's at at Barnes & Noble, and it's at Amazon, and I'm sure there's at other bookstores as well, but you can certainly get it there at those two bookstores, and you can absolutely get it on, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Kindle and Nook? Yes, ma'am. Uh, do you ever use those? Yes, I do. Well, it's available on both Kindle, which is Amazon, 
and Nook, which is Barnes & Noble. So you can get it by walking into the bookstore and buying it or ordering it and having it sent to you, or you can get it electronically. Very nice. You have a lot of avenues in which we can gain your material. You can get the Spanish one as well. Very, very nice. The Timoteo, which is a Spanish edition of this book, you can also get at these places. It's available too. Excellent. Now, whom do you feel this book appeals to and why? Well, it's, I know that it's a first-grade reader. I wrote it for first-grade um, vocabulary. Uh, and, and incidentally, it's first-grade vo- vocabulary in Spanish as well. So either in English or in Spanish, a first-grade child can read it. But I have found that children younger than first-grade can also read it. But it has appealed to grown-ups. I find uh, that gr- a grown-up who has read it warms to that idea that the way that person is is fine, fine with no alterations. Yes, do your best, but the essential you is fine. So it really appeals to adults and children. And the refrain of the book, that repeated refrain about how fine you are, the way you are, is very appealing to um, everyone who has read the book. Is there a scene or character you'd like to highlight during this interview? Well, the, um, the, the, the hero of the book, of course, is Timothy the Bear. And uh, he's the only one really in it. Of course, he's got his mother bear, and he's got his father bear, and he's got his brother bear, and he's got the other bears, and he's got his friends. But they're incidental. Uh, he goes from one to another. And um, they all say the way you are is fine. Until he realizes that the way he is, is fine. The book, Timothy, The Bear with Blue Eyes by Dr. Barbara Kane. Now, Dr. Kane, what's one thing you want readers to take away from your book? That the essential person, the, the, the way you come into the world... That is the way you are. And we want to get better at this, which is incidental, or get better at that, which is incidental, or color our hair, which is incidental, or do our nails, which is incidental, or learn the piano, which is incidental. But it doesn't change the person that we are. The person that we are, the essential being, does not really change. We change the way we behave and we change a little bit of our personalities. But we are essentially who we are. And it's good. However we are. Whatever color, whatever size and shape, whatever our however our nose looks or our lips look or our hair looks, we are. And and that's why the way we are. And it's good. It's good to be the way you are. That's my message. I know that sounds a little preachy, doesn't it? Not at all. I can be true to thyself is a great message. It is to be true to thyself. Well, I guess Shakespeare had it right on the nose. That's right. He did. He did. He said it correctly. Now, how would you actually introduce this book to a friend or maybe a student? Um, I'd tell a student, you know, I'd like you to read this book and I'd like you to tell me what you think about it. And it would be as simple as that. And then the person would come back to me and say, you know, I read your book because uh, this is what's happened. And uh, I really liked it. And, in fact, I gave a copy away to, and they tell me who they sent a copy to. And they got back a thank you letter, you know. So, um, because it made me think about the way that I am. This is what people tell me. Um and um, I was in a, the bookstore at a bookstore signing, and a little kindergarten child came up and read the book through. And then uh, while she was reading it aloud, uh, another child came up close to her, and so she was actually reading the child aloud to her father, but also to this child who was listening. And they warmed to this refrain about the way you are is the way you are, and the way you are is fine. I like that a whole lot. I really do. This is a very beautiful message. 
Tell me how this book is unlike others with similar topics. What sets it apart? There's no book like this. There's no book at all like this. Every book on the market says, go out there and strive. Go out there and change yourself. Go out there and learn. Go out there and make something of yourself. This book says, look at how you are. The, the whole different way of um, dealing with a child. Because we're constantly telling the children to make themselves different. And um, the book says that uh, Timothy has bare lessons to learn, so we want the children to learn lessons. We want them, of course, to be the best that they can be at everything. And as uh, Timothy learns to climb trees the best that he can climb them and catch fish the best that he can climb them and gather honey the best that he can, but um, also to be true to himself. And I don't know that there are any books on the market that teach to be true to yourself. For children to be confident about who they are and what they find interesting. To be confident in the, in themselves, who they are, and in fact, how they are different from everyone else. And the difference is fine. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have curly hair when everybody around you has straight hair. It's okay to be brown when other people are pink. Or to be yellow when other people are brown. Uh, whatever... Or to be tall when other people are short, or to be the other way around, or to be fat. My God, that's just almost a, a terrible thing in our today's society is to have a child who's plump. And um, in other societies, it's welcomed. But the way you are is the way you are. The book, Timothy, The Bear with Blue Eyes by Dr. Barbara Kane. Now, Dr. Kane... Why did you choose this setting or topic? Because um, it's an allegory. Um, the children, grown-ups, can identify with the bear. He's a non-human character. And a forest is an ambiguous uh, setting. Um, so uh, you can easily fit yourself in there. You become, then, um, the bear, and you become living in the forest. It's an easy transition for children, very easy, and for grown-ups as well, and for certainly for adolescents. Our fantasy life takes us to uh, assume different forms and live in different places. So it's very simple to identify with this bear. It's, very, it's especially easy for children uh, because uh, they uh, see life in non-human forms, in fact, so that um, very young children uh, see things that are inanimate as alive. You know, the, the car is alive, the balloon is alive, and so on. So a bear is very easy for children to identify with. Are there three words that you would best describe this book? I am fine. I am fine. That's it. I am fine. I like that. That's very nice. Um, it ha the book has to do with self-esteem and self-awareness and really self-appreciation to understand who you are. But to self-esteem means to like who you are. It's not enough to be aware of who you are. I want my children, I want the children around me, I want grown-ups around me to be happy with who they are. And that's what self-esteem is. What was one of the most challenging parts about writing this book? Just getting it into print. I wrote it in 1984, and I, uh, I sent it to the uh, Smithsonian, and I got a... Smithsonian number, and it just sat on my desk in that form, um, not published, but ready to go, um, and for, say, 20 years, and um, well, longer than 20 years, 1984, that's quite a while, mm -hmm. yeah, but, oh, 30 years, I'm sorry, 30 yeah. years, wow, I lost a decade there. Goodness. <laughs> so uh, it was just sitting on my desk in the back of my mind. 
And I thought, this has got to get out because this, the, this, this idea is a universal idea. And I'd like more people to um, come to grips with being themselves and being happy with themselves. I'd like this book to reach a wider audience than just the English population. And that's why I, uh, uh, Mario Iteza uh, translated it into Spanish for me so that it would be available to the Spanish children and Spanish adults and adolescents as well as English-speaking ones um, and can be used. And it's, it, it's being used right now in uh, the Dominican Republic, I know, um, in a school. So um, this gives it a much wider audience. And uh, someone came to me to publish it in Portuguese and somebody else came to me and published it in Italian. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. But I, I think I might just stay with the Spanish edition and the English edition, for now, anyway. Seems very exciting. A lot of people are trying to get their hands on your material. I guess so. That's good. Is there anything you feel we haven't covered during this interview that you'd like your audience to know? Yes. I think that it's crucial for adolescents who are, who's, who are changing minute by minute to be uh, comfortable with who the person that they are essentially and we kind of forget that we 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 do a lot with children and we just kind of uh, force adolescents to um, be to be conforming to be just like each other actually they force themselves to be just like each other and so uh, I think it's essential for adolescents to um, have this calm, this knowing who they are, and this sense of pride in who they are, as well as children. But I think it's a, I think it's a universal, um, a universal idea. The book, Timothy, the Bear with Blue Eyes by Dr. Barbara Kane. Dr. Kane, thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you for asking me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled Undefeated, the true story of how a family-owned Shepler's Mackinac Island Ferry Service survived and advanced through three generations. And joining me on the phone from Phoenix, or not from Phoenix, but from Arizona, is Dr. Don Steele, one of the co-authors of this book, also co-authored by Gene R. Beach. Dr. Don, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much, Jay. This is, uh, as I mentioned to you in our pre-interview uh, conversation, I have uh, have an interest in, in what you have written about. I grew up on the Great Lakes. In fact, uh, Lake Huron is one of those lakes that I uh, have a great uh, deal of, of fond memories about. This is a curious, uh, I guess, a curious story from my perspective. You live in Arizona, yet this book is about the Mackinac Island area. Tell me about it and tell me why it was written. Well, I was born and raised in Saginaw, Michigan, so I lived in uh, Michigan, uh, and then I was superintendent of the school, so I left Saginaw in 1978, and then I was Toledo superintendent, Seattle superintendent, so I have connections in Saginaw, and uh, after I completed the superintendency of Seattle, I started uh, my own company, 
called performance learning. So I do a lot of uh, coaching and consulting with GM, Ford, Chrysler, and other companies that uh, are in Michigan. Hmm. And Pat Doyle, who was at Central Michigan, where I got my undergraduate degree, uh, called me up one day and said the Scheffler family is uh, trying to transition into the third generation. And uh, it's it's kind of complicated, and uh, they thought I'd be the right person to help them navigate through that. So I met with Bill Scheffler and Chris Scheffler, his oldest son, and there's two other kids in the family. Uh, Patty is the head of accounting and human resources, and Billy's the fleet captain. But Chris has been operating out of St. Ignace. That uh, the ferryboat company Shepherd goes to Mackinac Island and uh, to St. Ignace, and uh, that's their triangle, so to speak, from Mackinac City to one to those other two places. And uh, Bill was uh, reluctant to retire. He'd been talking about it for ten years. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I started. One day I asked him point blank. I said, uh, "Bill, why don't you retire? You could, uh, you know, you." You got. You still got good health, and uh, he said, "You know, I think I'll die if I retire." Mm. And uh, my doctor's in philosophy of psychology, so I was telling him, "You know, there's, there's some there's some merit to that because you know you lose your purpose in life frequently, uh, or collapse the distinctions between who you are and what you do. It can be a problem." So I I, brought, I said, "You know, what we ought to do is write a book and kind of capture your legacy of this family that's in its seventieth year this year." Incredible. 70 years, and uh, after a little discussion, he said, you know, that book would be a good idea, and I said, yeah, and not only that, you can do some interviews and speak, you know, once you have the book, you'll be the featured person in the book, and we didn't want it to be a vanity book about Bill, I didn't want to write one, and he didn't want it to be that, so it covers the whole family and what the business is like and uh, what it's like to have a family business and, the, you know, the, the, the problems presented by family businesses, you know, with different interests and things like that that can come up from time to time. Correct. So anyway, we decided to write the book, and we wrote most of it, and then uh, they ran into trouble where uh, an outsider bought one of the competitive lines and tried to run the Shepherds out of business. Hmm. So I had to take about a year covering that before I could finish the book because we didn't know if they are going to survive or not. It's an incredible story. Incredible yeah, they've, story. They've survived, and they're introducing a new boat, another $3 million boat uh, in July, and they're they're leading the competition now, doing really well. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of how I got going. Well, it's an incredible story. The the uh, For those who are listening, and, and many of my listeners will be worldwide or located in other parts of the world, this Mackinac Island is in the northern part of Michigan in the United States of Canada, United States of America. Share with my listeners uh, what the significance is, if there is any, to Mackinac Island and why there's a draw. Well, Mackinac Island is, is in, in, a frequent, in a number of, uh, of articles and things, it's been called the number one tourist attraction in Michigan for families and that kind of thing. Uh, it was a, it was the, the place where the movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves yes. was done, and uh, it, it, it's really unique. It's the only place that has no driving traffic on it. It's all horse-drawn carriages. Uh, it's actually a federal highway that doesn't allow cars. It's the only one in the, in the world, probably in the country at least. And uh, so horse-drawn carriages, it's like going back in time when you go over there. A a lot of things to see. The Grand Hotel is where that Somewhere in Time film was done. The Republican Party of Michigan has their big convention every year. They have a Somewhere in Time convention. Uh, They have all kinds of, of groups that come together, the Red Hat ladies, the Lighthouse crew, Lighthouse tours, ladies, mm-hmm. you know, they and men, yeah, but they it, it's it's really a, a unique place to take your family, and it's only about twenty minutes from Mackinac City by ferry to Mackinac Island. So the ferry boat so, is is a is an integral part of that that uh, that population and and that environment there. The first boat, that, the first boat that they they secured. What was that? Uh, you've included a lot of boats. A lot of pictures of not only the ferries they have uh, have commandeered in the past, but also uh, other interesting side notes related to that area. Which was the first that they they uh, owned and and operated? Yeah, the first boat that they had, uh, Cap Shepherd, who would be Bill Shepherd's father, 
uh, bought it bought a boat that needed to be completely uh, rebuilt. I mean, it was it was a nice boat, uh, kind of a Chris Craft type thing, and a ten passenger boat. And he bought it simply because uh, it could go faster than the current ferries that Arnold's line had, and uh, so they would run passengers in small numbers back and forth a lot faster. And so they kind of built their name on speed. Um, and that, so that was their, that was their first, uh, first their effort. Start. Yes. They've, mm-hmm. uh, they've included, or they actually have grown to some pretty large vessels at this point. How many do they have in their fleet and what is the capacity? I, I believe they have seven now. And, uh, the, uh, new one is, is the sixth or seventh ferry. Uh, they have one uh, ferry that is a freight ferry and it carries freight over the islands, uh, over the island and over to St. Ignace and, uh, uh, it also it hosts parties, and they have a mm. big deck on it, and, and people can have parties on those things. And the Mackinac Bridge is right there, and that's a beautiful site. That was the longest fan bridge in the world for a long time. Now it's third. Wow. And um, you've included in that, in, in the story of the Mackinac Bridge, you've included some side stories that have, uh, you know, developed from the relationship of the Shepplers and how they were involved there when it was being constructed, some of the side stories, some of the people that were working on the bridge that became injured or, or even worse. Uh, you've included more than just the story of the Shepplers. This is a, a, an environmental piece about the, the whole area of Mackinac Island, isn't it? Right, and some of the famous people and some of the things that happened. Uh, one of the things, very competitive ferry business, there's three ferry lines running right now, and there's been different ones that have come and gone, but the Arnold Line and Star Line and uh, Shepplers are the three three big ones, and the uh, they do uh, they take about three million people a season over to Mackinac Island. Incredible. So it, yeah, it's incredible, and people just love it. Uh, Bill went to uh, Disney World one year. I, I confuse Disneyland and Disney World. The one in Florida. Yes. And he he went through their their training program. He fell in love with the cleanliness, the customer service, and all the stuff they have. So they're sometimes called Disneyland North in terms of customer service they? because they everything is clean, everything is taken care of, and they really focus on an experience rather than just a ride. Like just one quick story. I got on the boat with Bill one time, and uh, there's a uh, comedian that used to pretend like he was drunk on the, oh, on yes. the Dean Martin show and all that stuff. What's his name? Foster Brooks. Yeah, Foster Brooks. He got on the boat, and he didn't tell me he was going to do this, but he gets on the ferry, and he, all the people are sitting in their places anxiously waiting to get going, and he gets on, and, and he did a, a spot-on Foster Brooks invitation <laughs> like he was drunk, and he's their captain, and they're not sure where they're going today, but they're going to have a good time. And people were looking at him and like, what in the world? <laughs> and so when he got up there, then he then he turned around and he told them, he was not just kidding, they're ready to go, and there was a lot of laughter, so... Wonderful. They they make it an experience. So it's an entertainment entertainment uh, venue as well as uh, general transportation. Now you've mentioned they are into their third generation of working in this this environment. Uh, how how long does the season run? Does it run twelve months or is it a ten month season? Well, they open up the end of April or May, and it all depends on when the ice melts. I mean, right. they get six feet of ice. Oh six wow. Feet deep. And all the way across, you can drive snowmobiles across Lake Michigan and Lake Huron in the winter. And they play, they they put up trees, pine trees. They plant pine trees, you stick them in the ground so you can see where you can go safely across. Really? With snowmobiles and stuff like that. And so when the ice breaks, they open up. They opened up uh, last, I was up there last week, and they opened up the day that I got there. That would have, I don't know what the date was, but it was like the 25th of April, or 24th maybe. And they were, that was their first day. So it's completely weather dependent. And then they usually go into September. Hmm. And again, it depends on the weather. You have titled the book Undefeated. What is the most fascinating story you think the readers are going to find interesting in your book? Well, I, I think there's a number of things, but I think one of, one of the most important things is it, it takes uh, a lot of uh, fortitude to go through the kinds of stuff that they went through to keep the family together and to keep the business together. So it's a good book for family businesses to read. People are in family businesses. And uh, I've done some other consulting with other family businesses. And they have a unique set of problems. So that's one of them. It's also a great tourist book because not everybody knows about Mackinac Island. Um, 
it has a tremendous draw from Chicago and you know, Wisconsin and Michigan, you know, regional. Absolutely. And people from around the world go there, but it's it's not as uh, well known as it, it might be. And I think that's, uh, you know, what you can see there, like the lighthouse tours are very interesting. Uh, and also the night tours about this night sky and how the night sky is being taken away by all the lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lady who does a tour and they study the stars and uh, how we need to protect night sky. Uh, you know, it, that's Mary Stewart is her name. But fascinating, uh, they, they've worked, uh, they really worked to make the family work. Uh, they did summer vacations together as a family in uh, Disneyland in Florida, Disney World, where they can uh, enjoy being just a family and not talk work. They yeah. play golf together and do things like that. And then, and then when they're back at work, they've got the, the, the weather to fight. They've got competition to worry about. You know, they've got a lot of challenges, and they, they've managed to do it for 70 years. Incredible. Is there an underlying uh, message or theme or maybe an inspirational thought that pops out from Undefeated? I think the one thing would be uh, never tell a chef where it can't be done. <laughs> I mean, Bill's that way, his dad was that way, Chris is that way, and uh, they are they galvanize into action when they have a problem. Incredible. And we work till we day and night. We do what we have to do to, to make this thing to conquer this problem. Now, the title of the book is Undefeated. This is the sharing the history and the legacy of family-owned Shepherds Mackinac Island Ferry Service survived and advanced through three generations. Our guest author, Dr. Don Steele. Don, where can my listeners get copies of this book? The best place to go is to, they can get it through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Author House uh, Publishing, but the best place to go is the, this website. It's undefeatedthebook.com undefeatedthebook.com there's a video on there there's a description of the authors and of the uh, what the book is essentially about so it gives people uh, what they need to find out how to order the book the pricing of the book and uh, it's available hard copy soft copy or um, uh, an ebook you know phenomenal is there another book in your future are you uh, researching or developing something else for our readers well I'm working on I'm working on two possible books one is uh, about speed. I had racing schools in the Las Vegas Motor, at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway for a number of years where we taught businesses how to build a fast company. And there have been a number of books out there about how to build speed as, as a core confidence and source of competitive advantage. But the, my, what we did over about a 10-year period of time is run thousands of people that were management and labor people where the labor groups would come in really opposed to even talking about speed. You know, looking at it as a as dangerous, I'm running on a treadmill as fast mm-hmm. as I can, and you're going to elevate it, speed it up? I don't think so. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, and it really worked because they they got to actually drive the cars 150 miles an hour on a, on a speedway and do pit crew competitions and got labor and management working together. So that's one I'm working on. It's, it's about speed as a core competence and source of competitive advantage. Super. Uh, and uh, the second one, is, if you've got time to hear this. Sure, let's do it. Is, uh, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was the athletic director of a place called St. Vincent's Home, which is a home of orphanage. Uh, it was an orphanage. But during the Cuban takeover by Fidel Castro, um, you know, the kids were being drafted in the Army at age 14. Wow. And so some of the people that could afford to illegally got their people out of the country uh, using the Pedro Plan, which was a Catholic-supported organization. And this, uh, when I was athletic director, all of a sudden we had about eight Cuban kids that were transferred there because they didn't know where else to put them. They didn't have families to be with or whatever. Yes. And Angel Canetti was one that I connected with particularly because he was a cute little guy and he was a shortstop and I was a coach of the baseball team. He was a very good baseball player. But I was I worked with him for two years and uh, coached the team, and my sister was working there also, and she worked with a gal named Mercy. Well, 49 years later or something like that, that was in 1961, 23, whatever, and uh, all of a sudden Facebook, Angel Canadian, looking for Don Steele. Really? And so I talked to him, and here's a guy that graduated from high school, got a scholarship for baseball and basketball to uh, Cal Poly, 
uh, and that was when Tarkanians had gone over to that school in Long Beach, and uh, he had left UNLV. And I had worked with Tarkanian because he took some players out of Saginaw when I was superintendent of school, Tony Smith and some others. That uh, So I knew him and had talked to the players. And um, Angel ended up graduating from uh, college. Then he got his MBA, and he worked for NASA for 30 years. And now he's retired, and hes uh, I had dinner with him at his home in Port Lauderdale. Real nice home, uh, great family. He's like the godfather to the family. But his 88-year-old mother is still living, and they are, they are so thankful for what we did because my hmm. family, more than just me, would take them in for Christmas, for Thanksgiving, bring them to the house. You know, take them for go to places where they wouldn't wouldn't have had a chance to go. But when Angel got off the plane with his sister Mercy, the family was going to take him in. Walked up to them and said, uh, um, "We can't take you, uh, Angel, but we'll take Mercy." Oh boy! And so here he's 11 years old. He knows no one. He's standing in the Miami airport. Saying, what do I do now? You know, and to to come from that, and then when he went to St. Vincent, he got calls from his sister once in a while. She was crying. She hated the family. All that. And so he shoveled snow and stuff and earned the money to buy her an airplane ticket. And that's how she ended up at St. Vincent's home. So it's a good story with what's happening with Obama and the uh, Cuban trying to fix the uh, embargoes and all that stuff. So I think that's timely. So one of those two books is going to be next. You have some exciting stories that you have uh, have recounted on this interview, and this particular book that we're talking about today is called Undefeated. Listeners can get a copy by doing a search online under your name, Dr. Don Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E, and uh, co-author Gene R. Beach. Thank you, Don, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.